Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our weekly podcast series. Today joining you, as promised, on a Monday. I'm joined, as always, by Chief Arsenal Writer for Football.London, Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good, you well? Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you, Tom? Not bad. A lot better after yesterday's performance. Um, I'll, I'll start off by asking the question, how did you go into the game with expect like what were your expectations i suppose going into the game and how did they measure up to what we witnessed my expectations were low i, I was so i thought jesus not being in the team was going to be a real issue as we found out that inf- information we brought it to you on, on fl just before um team news came out and yeah it was always going to be a, a concern for arsenal not having a player of his quality in the team obviously liverpool were ominously good against chelsea in midweek and arsenal have struggled to score goals they had struggled in the FA Cup game score goals and they'd lost to Liverpool that day and yeah I just I, I didn't have a good feeling uh no Jesus Partey obviously being out was something we knew in advance but still a bit of a blow and it just it just something didn't feel right for me going into this game I texted my, my friend's group chat saying I have a bad feeling but um maybe I need to have more bad feelings because it worked out pretty well in the end yeah, I I agree. I I was like nervously optimistic going into this one, but my optimism was was always measured because the way in which we approached the game against them last time, and then just in the FA Cup game, and obviously we just opened up because we didn't take our chances to not have Jesus as well as you say um, after a goal and an assist against Forest was a big blow. Um, but Havertz comes in to that position. It will start with the, the lineup, that big lineup decision to play Havertz, I think paid off in the end. And he kind of played the perfect target man in the game. Yeah, I think Havertz got better as the game went on. We obviously do our halftime ratings in the blog. And um, I think I gave him a six for the first half, which in retrospect was a little harsh, but I I thought he was a little lightweight in some of the duels. And obviously his finishing was a real issue. and, And he got a bit lucky in the sense that Saka was there on hand for that chance that Saka ended up scoring because that was a really good chance for, for Havertz to score. And, I never had the conviction when he was going through that he was going to score. Having said that, though, and it was interesting that Havertz obviously isn't an out-and-out number nine, and and we always say, you know, the issue with that is that he can't score goals. That's his big problem, not being an out-and-out number nine. But when it came to the rest of being an out-and-out number nine, in the second half in particular, he mastered it, and he helped Arsenal get up the pitch at times when they were really struggling. And once Arsenal got back in front and the game came a bit more Liverpool attack versus Arsenal defence, he was crucial with his centre-forward play to help Arsenal get up the pitch and, and to win these niggly fouls that obviously in the end ended up getting Canate sent off. Two yellow cards, both to do with fouls from Kai Havertz. And I thought he went on to have a, a really good game in that uh, false nine position, even though it wasn't really a false nine. It was about as sort of orthodox a nine performance as you're you're going to see. And it's, it's interesting that he's, I don't think he's the solution in that position, but I certainly think he's an option now. If Jesus is going to continue to be out, which is a bit of an issue and a bit of a concern because he's been struggling with that knee problem all season now, pretty much. I think Havertz has proved himself as a more than capable alternative. And maybe there's a question to be had about what that means for Eddie Nketiah, who obviously had interest in Crystal Palace in January and didn't end up going and isn't playing even when Jesus is injured. And he signed a five-year deal essentially saying, you know, you're going to be the guy to, to back up the guy. And it's not even transpired that that's happening for him. So... That's a negative to look at, but maybe that's a conversation for a different time because I think you're right in pointing out that Havertz had a, a good game and I thought he was very good, particularly in the second half when Arsenal needed a proper out ball, he provided it. 
What do you think it says about Eddie Nketiah and and where he sits in the the pecking order? Because there's, I mean, Arteta's given him a lot of you know rope in terms of opportunities, but the biggest game of the Arsenal season, his starting striker's not available, and arguably what many would say is the second striker in Nketiah was wasn't picked instead. Yeah, it it doesn't speak too highly, does it? In the sense that. Interestingly enough, earlier in the season, Eddie was picked in a lot of those big games. He started a lot of the games at the start of the season, played against Man City. I thought played well against Man City and seems to have gone out of favour a bit during this this Christmas period when you would think that given the number of players that Arsenal have had missing and the injuries they've had, that he would be an option uh, to use more regularly. But I think that Fulham game has really hurt him in the sense he had a really, really poor game at Craven Cottage. I know the whole team did, but he was one of the biggest offenders in how poor he was and I think that's cost him because I don't think Arteta seems to trust him right now. And I'm sure throughout the season, he'll give him more chances and those opportunities will come. But if Havertz is now the backup and Havertz doesn't, you know, touch wood, seem to pick up any injuries, whereas mm. Jesus is picking up injuries. But if Havertz is the backup, then you wonder where Enketi's minutes are going to come from because he's not the most effective guy in the world off the bench. His record off the bench isn't great. I know he scored off the bench against Fulham in the home game earlier this season, but generally he tends to do better when he starts. But He's not. I don't see when he's going to get those opportunities because there's no more domestic cup games. You imagine if Jesus is fit, he'll play the Champions League games too. So, yeah, it doesn't speak too highly for Eddie Nketiah. And I think Arsenal are going to look to invest in the centre forward position in the summer. They certainly wanted to in January, but didn't have the funds. So, yeah, you wonder what it means for Eddie. And, and maybe if that interest is still there in the summer, I can see him leaving Arsenal. Mm, yeah, so can I. Uh, and he is a sellable asset. And a lot of people question, you know, why we renewed his deal. Well, one of the big reasons was is because we've retained value in that, and it would be pure profit on the books as well, because you know he came for the academy. So there's not that to look at in regards to profit and sustainability as well, which we might eventually see the benefits of in the summer window. Around Havertz, of course, was Sacco. You alluded to scoring the, the first goal from that uh, Havertz initial shot, and Martinelli on the other side as well. Both of them getting goals on the day. Both of them looking, I think Martinelli in particular, back to their best. Yeah, Martinelli had a really good game. and I've got a piece coming up on that later today. I thought he was fantastic in the sense that we've always known with Martinelli, if the space is there, he can capitalise on it. And I think in those bigger games, when the space is there and against teams who want to come and play, he's exactly the man you want. And I think he lost a bit of confidence, um, particularly with the amount of deep blocks that Arsenal faced and his lack of goals and his, his struggles throughout the season. But with that late brace against Crystal Palace. I know he wasn't great against Nottingham Forest, but he was really good yesterday. And it was all the best of Martinelli. He was a real problem, a real nuisance for, for Van Dijk and for Canate and for Alexander-Arnold. They couldn't cope with him. And he was constantly winning the ball up high, constantly supporting the press, but also constantly helping his fullback out, Zinchenko, because he knew he had a really important role to do on that front as well. And he also showed a bit of streetwiseness, if that's a word, um, in the build-up to the goal, because obviously it's an error by by Allison, but Martinelli forces it by giving Van Dijk a little nudge into Allison, and yeah, it's a stroke of luck, but I think he deserved that because he was really, really good, and it was all the things that Arsenal fans love about Martinelli that was back, and most importantly, the goals. And I think if he can keep that up going forward, there are some games in the fixture list coming up where Arsenal may fancy themselves as having a little bit more space. Also, you look to those Champions League games where teams are going to come at Arsenal they're probably not going to sit back and defend big teams in the Champions League tend to want to play you and, and that's where Martinelli has scored or assisted every time he's played so I think he's going to be a really useful asset to Arsenal for the remainder of the season and his confidence seems to be back he seems to have his self-belief back which I think just before Christmas he was lacking so it's a really really good thing for Arsenal to have him back in full form 
Yeah, it, it really is. And and obviously, you've got depth from the bench as well. Leandro Trossard coming off the bench and scoring. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but moving back through the team and into the midfield, I think the standout performer, everyone would arguably agree, was, was Jorginho, um, who, of course, came into the team, one man in the match award as well for the Premier League award of it, and uh, has obviously started few games this season but it tends to be that when he does start Mikel Arteta chooses to start him in the biggest of games and I think we saw why yesterday yeah he's a reliable performer in those big big games and he's so experienced he's played in the biggest of of venues uh, the biggest of atmospheres and I still remember that Newcastle game where Arsenal went there and it was it was red hot atmosphere at St James's Park it always is but Jorginho played that day and, and I think some players go into those games fearful of it he says, no, this is what being a professional footballer is all about. He loves it. And I think his mentality is so good for Arsenal. And it was interesting to hear Arteta talking afterwards about how he's been struggling with injury. Maybe that's why he's not been playing as, as much. But he's such a useful asset. And you, you look at Moises Caicedo over at Chelsea and the struggles he's had since he moved. And obviously, Arsenal fans are very disappointed um, in the Jorginho transfer. I remember you and me, Tom, texting when all that was going on. And and I was I was sceptical, to say the least, about the Jorginho deal. But... Mm. It worked out pretty well for Arsenal in the end. They've got a really good player. And um, given Thomas Partey's struggles with injury this season, Jorginho's really stepped up. And he's not just a player in terms of his technical ability, who is fantastic, but he's also his leadership. And in these kind of games where maybe you need a cool ahead, where that Liverpool press is going to be so, so difficult to deal with, someone like him who just seems to always know what to do, always know what's around him, always know where he is on the pitch, that's absolutely massive. And yeah, I thought he was the best player on the pitch yesterday. Um, yeah, and I think everyone seems to agree. Yeah, I, I spoke to him after the game uh, in the mix zone afterwards and asked him also about his contract situation. He was very uh, professional in his answer, as you would expect to be in deflector saying, you know, in terms of they've not really spoken too much about it. But at the moment, all he wants to do is is win games for Arsenal. Do you think that that one-year option is certainly something Arsenal need to consider activating into next season, even if Arsenal end up signing somebody like, for instance, as we've, we've linked on London, a, a Martin Zubamendi, for instance? Yeah, they, they are interested in Zubamendi and I do wonder if he signs, then do you have a decision to make on Jorginho? You also have to bear in mind that Partey is still contracted to Arsenal for another year and Arsenal are open to offers on him. Um, it's very, there's a lot of ifs and buts when it comes to that Arsenal defensive midfield position and obviously Declan Rice is the future, but they are looking to the long-term uh, long solution in that position. Douglas Luiz and another player has been linked and Arsenal are looking at bringing in a six this summer. It'll be interesting to see what they do because I think if maybe their top targets aren't available, let's say Zid Mendy decides he wants to stay at Real Sociedad, which is my understanding that he has indicated he does want to, and maybe Douglas Luiz isn't gettable or another target isn't gettable, maybe they look to extend Jorginho by another 12 months. Personally, I think that'd be a really, really smart piece of business. I know he said he wants to go back to Italy one day, but I think he's, you know, if yesterday's performance is anything to go by, he's still at the top level, still able to influence the biggest games and the best games, you know. Arsenal and Liverpool, two of the best teams in Europe right now, and Jorginho is still deciding those games. So I think he's still got a big role to play at Arsenal. I personally would love to see him extended by another year. Um, I think Partey will potentially move on, given his injury struggles this season and, and given that he's only got one year on his contract. So if you've got a simple option to, to just bring in someone and extend Jorginho like you can, I don't see why the club wouldn't do it. I think it makes real, real sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that, yeah, obviously, as you say, it depends upon plans with other players and if other players leave. But 
at the moment, I think Arsenal, if Partey's fit, which is always the big question, uh, with the collection of Partey, Rice and Jorginho, Arsenal have arguably got the best collection of defensive midfielders in the world right now. There's not, I can't think of another club that has as many top level. Don't forget Mohamed yeah. Nenny too. Don't forget Of course, he is still here, Mohamed El Nenny. It's worth remembering. Give you, I suppose, can play there. <laughs> We're just Zinchenko, talking about yeah, they're all there. All there. Can play as a DM. Um, Zinchenko, arguably, you can talk about as well as an unorthodox midfielder that plays deep. And uh, it was interesting. I thought at half time when Zinchenko came off, actually, and Kivio came on, I was we were unaware at the time whether it was tactical or injury related. It was only until after the game I started talking about the fact that it's um, they don't know the extent of, of the problem that Zinchenko has. But there was part of me that thought it could have been tactical because of just, you know, there's always the chance Liverpool can get down that our left-hand side and Kivio's a little bit more defensively astute. But I, I thought Kivio actually performed really well in the second half. There was that one misplaced pass that he did out onto the left-hand side. But other than that, I thought he defended acutely and didn't look out of place for a player that's, that's faced some scrutiny in recent weeks. Yeah, I think it's the best Kivio's played at left-back in an Arsenal shirt. It's not his position and... He's more of a central player, you can tell. He doesn't really offer an awful lot going forward, although he nearly scored, um, finding himself in the centre-forward position. But we all know his his strengths are in the defensive third. But it was interesting. I think it was a game that suited him in terms of he wasn't asked to do that inverting role that maybe he looked so out of place doing against. I think Fulham was one where he really struggled and came off at half-time. And I think that's when he can be a good option at left-back. It was interesting. Arsenal obviously had that double pivot of Rice and Jorginho, and that created that box midfield where... Maybe you didn't need a left-back to come in, whereas if you've got a lone pivot in Rice and he's playing as a six on his own, then you need Zinchenko just to come in and offer that extra option. So Kibior could just focus on defending his left flank, stopping Luis Diaz, stopping Trent Alexander-Arnold until he came off and, and, and stopping the players he came on instead of him. And I think that allowed him to, to put in a really good performance. And it played to his strengths. And it's interesting, We've been whenever Kibior's come in, we've criticised him. But I think there's an argument that maybe Arsenal could have done more to protect him as an option at left-back, because he can't do what Zinchenko can do. There's very few left-backs in the world who can do what Zinchenko can do. So to ask him to replicate that role is is quite harsh. And it's interesting now that Tommy Ash is back fit, um, back from the Asian Cup, sorry, and he's going to be an option. So what does Arteta do next week? Does he stick with Kibio or does he go for Tommy Asu at left-back, assuming Zinchenko's not fit? So options for Arsenal. And I think Kibio had a really good game yesterday and proved he can be one of them. Well, you correct yourself there by saying back fit, but you're right in that sense as well because he is back fit because Tommy Asu was missing, of course, before um, that Fulham game came rushed back basically because he wasn't fit to start the the Asia Cup either, and it could kind of I think contextualise how quickly Arsenal did try to rush him back for that Fulham game um, and how concerned they were, I think, at the time about the form of Zinchenko who actually missed that game as well because of injury and Kivio having to come in and deputise at left back. Tommy Asu came on in the second half, but it was overall a pretty insipid display in in that New Year's Eve afternoon. But him coming back into the fold is going to be really important for Arsenal, of course, in the next, well, we, we assume March to May is the Urian Timber timeline return of what an ACL usually is. But there's a lot of optimism around his uh, recovery at the moment. Although we're still kind of awaiting more clarification on when we might see him this season. Arsenal are certainly tempering those expectations, as you would expect. But to get Timber and Tommy Asu into the Arsenal fold, defensive options with Kivior, I think impressing. I think is, it shows you how much depth actually there is, but I still think there is there is need to to strengthen in the summer potentially in that area. Moving to the back uh, of the team and, and David Raya as well, he was involved in that error uh, that led to Liverpool's equaliser. William Saliba also involved. Now I, I don't think too much can be put on Gabriel. He was pretty much. 
uh, unaware of the ball hitting his arm and going in. But of Saliba and, and Ray are in that moment. Where were you kind of pointing fingers for a better term of phrase? I think Saliba's got to deal with it personally. I think he has the chance to deal with it. Yeah, Raya could probably be a bit more uh, quick off his line and a bit more astute to the situation, but um, it's got to be Saliba just dealing with it. He can kick it away. He can head it away. There's there's so many options he has rather than trying to use his body when he's not that close to David Raya. And I think Raya's starting position is good in the sense that if Saliba does lose that duel, he's in the right place to to then come out and deal with, um, I think it's Shota, uh, Diaz, sorry, that um, mm. Saliba's up against. And yeah, I think Saliba had to deal with it a bit better. Um, a bit disappointing given that he's so good in these big games, but it wasn't an error from Saliba. And listen, he's 22. He's allowed to make one every now and again, but it was, I think I'd, I'd say more him, although Raya could also have handled it better. Yeah, I think I think I called it something like 60 40 in favour of Saliba being the main culprit in that, or maybe 70 30. But um, I suppose that's two in two because obviously Saliba's involved in that goal. Uh, Nottingham Forest scored as well, was was outmatched by uh, Awanya as well. So hopefully they're a bit of a because he's been very comfortable, very, you know, composed. And sometimes players can get a little bit confident in their own abilities, especially if there's not much pressure behind them. So maybe this would be something of a bit of a wake-up call for Saliba for to improve on his focus. But overall, I thought he was very good. And what did you make of David Rea, actually? Again, I thought distribution-wise was great. Nearly set away another uh, Crystal Palace-esque goal when he released Martinelli too. I feel like now, even though the conversation has always been about how necessary it was to sign David Rea, I think he is starting to prove his worth to some degree. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that's a, an error that Aaron Ramsdale wouldn't also have made, if that makes sense. I don't mm. think that Raya was particularly uh, bad in it at all. I thought he actually had, yeah, like you say, a really good game. And that bowl out to um, Martinelli was was good. It created a chance for Arsenal. We've seen he can create goals for Arsenal in the past with Trossard's goal at, against Palace. So I think, yeah, he's, he's a good option um, for Arsenal. And yeah, you know, Aaron Ramsdale against Liverpool will always have a special place in the, the heart of Arsenal fans. But I think a big part of Arsenal being able to be so dominant in the game and, and so effective in the game was the control they had. Also, when Liverpool resorted to swinging crosses into the box late on because they realised they couldn't go through the middle of Arsenal, Rye was fantastic at coming and claiming them. So I thought he was pretty good overall. And yeah, um, a disappointing way for the error to happen, but pretty good overall. Yeah, I agree. Um in terms of the context then of this and what it means, it's a huge result for Arsenal in terms of the title race because had we have lost, I think most people probably would have said that Arsenal were completely out of the race, but they've won it. Um, I think Liverpool came and there was a lot of... Arrogance might be a bit too far, but there was a lot of expectation from the Liverpool side of things that they were going to come and, and win the game. How do you feel about what this has done to the perception of Arsenal and Liverpool in regards to this year's title race? Oh, to be fair, I spoke to the uh, Liverpool Echo reporters who were there for, for our, our sister site, Liverpool Echo and Paper, and they didn't seem that confident. And Really? Yeah, Liverpool had a few big players missing, didn't they? Obviously, no Salah, mm. um, no Shabozlai was was big, and, and Van Dijk and Alisson had probably their worst games of the season, uncharacteristically for them. Um, what it does for their title ambitions, I don't know. It's only the second game they've lost all season, so I'm not really sure you can put too big a, a point on it for them. It's It's, it's potentially... A blow for them but they're still favorites in my book um they still have city to come to anfield they still have obviously that intangible factor of, of jürgen klopp leaving which will make a big difference for them as well so yeah i'd still make liverpool favorites and arsenal are going to have to win a lot of games still arsenal still have a lot to do i know they're back in the title race but it's it's not going to be simple for them between now and the end of the season 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I just kind of off the back of kind of like, you know, Liverpool supporters on socials, there was a lot of, of confidence on that side of things. But yeah, I think you're right to point out that maybe uh, the journalistic side of things are looking at it as a little bit more cautiously, I suppose. But maybe we over-celebrated, Carl. What do you think about that? Do, do we celebrate too much as Arsenal fans? <laughs> uh, no, no. It's the most tedious form of sort of analysis after a game and our old colleague at FL, who's at the Athletic, Eric Aaron Katzen Reid, I thought summed it up really well when he said, "Why is no one talking about the game?" Um, you know, I'm I'm so bored of all this celebration police stuff, and we've got a panel piece coming out on it today, and I think it's 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 so it's so impetuous as a take. And football's about moments. Football's about enjoying the times where you know you're gonna try and enjoy things that might never happen again. And let's say Arsenal don't go on to win the league this season. Does that mean that this win in itself wasn't a fantastic occasion for Arsenal? No, of course not. It was enjoyable and Arsenal fans should enjoy that and Arsenal players should enjoy that. They've beaten the best team, I'd say, in Europe right now, comfortably, you know, deservedly so. And if you can't celebrate that, then what can you celebrate? You know, the idea that you can only celebrate at all in May once you've lifted the league is absolute nonsense. And I think maybe if it hadn't been Liverpool that Arsenal had beaten, Jamie Carragher, I don't think, would have had too much of an issue. I think maybe his uh, his own biases maybe got a little bit the better of him there, which is a shame because I think actually Carragher is one of the, the best pundits in the game. But yeah, disappointing to see, I think, that. Yeah, it's just this incessant need to strip the joy from so many things these days. Um, multiple pundits on different platforms suggesting Arsenal's behaviour after the game or Arteta's behaviour. Uh, with his celebrations was too much. It's football. It's a game. Just enjoy it. You know, I really can't get my head around why uh, there is such a, an insatiable appetite to, to quell celebration. Um, but uh, yeah, we we move and uh, we move to to Arsenal's next game, which is of course against West Ham United. Of course, or Dot London will be there covering it, so you'll be able to get coverage of that game. But based upon, obviously, the changes that we made from the midweek game, Jorginho coming in for Smith-Rowe, Jesus forcibly changed for Havertz. Both of those players, I thought, had good performances. We discussed Jorginho in particular having a great display. Do you think Arteta needs to change anything up? Because we've had a pretty tough time at West Ham in the last couple of games. We drew in the league last season. We lost in the League Cup this season. So how do you think Arteta does change it, if at all? He obviously might have to at left-back with Zinchenko not being there. And I think that is, you know, big we can't underestimate how much of an influence Zinchenko can have, particularly in those kind of games where West Ham are probably going to sit back and probably going to try and make things difficult for Arsenal defensively, just as they did when they came to the Emirates and, and won. So that will be big. Uh, beyond that, I don't really know what changes Arsenal want to make. I, I wonder if, it seems bizarre given we were praising Martinelli, but if, if West Ham are going to sit deep, then Trossard might be the guy to go for. But Again, it's it's all it's all minor. Uh, maybe you move Havertz back into midfield. I don't know if you need both Jorginho and Rice against West Ham. It seems crazy to drop probably the two best performers from the game, but um, those might be the areas I'd, I'd be looking at changing. But ultimately, if Arteta goes for a, a unchanged, you know, apart from Zinchenko lineup, then I don't think anyone can have too many complaints. Yeah, no, me neither. And I do think that. Jorginho will add that control again uh, and Declan Rice I think could maybe do with some of the support against that West Ham team he's going to be under a lot of pressure a lot of the the noise from the crowd is going to come again uh, we imagine it to, to Declan Rice and, and he struggled a little bit I thought during the game at home I think it was probably one of his worst performances Declan Rice in an Arsenal shirt when we lost 
He came on, of course, in the game in the League Cup as well, was immediately under pressure. But overall, that was a pretty poor display. They've just come off the back of a 3-0 defeat to Manchester United where they were pretty roundly beaten and quite comfortably goals from Garnacho, of course, Hoyland as well, getting in on the act. And they look more vulnerable than it was compared to when we last played them. But how much credit did you give West Ham if you think back to that game in December where they managed to come up with a 2-0 win? Because Arsenal dominated, create loads of chance. I think something like 44 touches in the box. It was just a lacking finish. But this seems to be a different Arsenal team now compared to when we played them last time. Yeah, I thought um, West Ham were really good when they came to the Emirates. They deserved their win. I don't think Arsenal were good enough. I know they had lots of chances and touches and all that kind of stuff in the opposition box and whatever. But West Ham defended really, really well. Having said that, I don't think West Ham were too bad at um, Man United. I thought they played okay. If you look at the XG stats, they had comfortably more XG, more shots, more possession than, than Man United, which you wouldn't expect. At Old Trafford. So I thought they did okay in that game. Uh, that said, I think they're not unbeatable. I think Arsenal could and, and probably should be looking to go there and get a win. It'll be interesting to see if Mikel Arteta again uses to looks to use sorry, that revenge narrative arc that he's used. Forrest, obviously, it was big and all the players are talking about, you know, we need to win. Last season, Arsenal's title race arguably fell apart at West Ham where they drew 2-2. And I wonder if maybe they'll be thinking, hang on, we've got a score to settle here. We need to go there and and, and sort them out. So I think that would be big for Arsenal. We're certainly a, a different kind of challenge, a different kind of game. And I expect them to to come out and, and, and get a win. That said, West Ham, you can't rule them out as, as a difficult test. They're sixth in the league for a reason. They're a decent side. But Arsenal need to go there and, and, and get the three points. Otherwise, essentially, this, this win against Liverpool pales into insignificance. Mm, absolutely. Uh, before we close, uh, the Arsenal women were actually in action this weekend and and sadly lost in their game um, against West Ham 2-1. And the reason why I want to pick up on that is our colleague Hush Karai actually uh, tweeted uh, over the weekend saying, I'm not convinced by the manager anymore. Confidence eroded week by week. The balance of the squad and quality in key positions is extremely high, but the collective performances have largely been not good enough. I'll change the word he used uh, for a while. Um He's not happy with Jonas Eideval. Do you think Eideval is under pressure? And he's only just recently signed a new contract as recently as Arteta did. And obviously, they missed out on the Champions League this season as well when they failed to qualify past uh, Paris in the summer. Do you think there is a realistic chance that Eideval's days could be numbered? Oh, when it comes to the Champions League thing, I spoke to some people in the club about that. And I think their issue is more with the ridiculousness of the seeding system in the Women's Champions League and not allowing the biggest and best teams to qualify for it automatically, which is probably what it should be. But that Sounds is what it is. Leaky, that does, you know. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> I think for now, at least, the way the the way the game is, I think it needs to happen. And the way the Champions League is looking to expand, I think you need to have the biggest teams in there. That said, um, I think if Eidemann does come third again in the league, well, not again, but if he comes third in the league and Chelsea are way off and... United, are, well, they're not had a great season, United, but sorry, if City are ahead of Arsenal and with all the transition they've had, I think there could be some some issues that he's going to have to face. Um, I don't know, if I'm being fully honest, how much pressure he's under, but he was heavily backed in the summer. Alessio Russo is a very good player brought into the side. Um, he's got a lot of options. He's got a lot of good, good players. So, um, yeah, I think maybe the pressure might be on him to deliver, but I don't know if Arsenal will be looking to make a change. I doubt they make one between now and the end of the season, that's for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, Emily Fox, of course, is coming in the in January, and she's looked good also in the game since she's arrived. And you're right, Russo in the summer, Lacasse, Alstert that joined as well. There is a lot of talent on offer, but it's not necessarily being maximised at the moment. So it will be intriguing to see um, between now and the end of the season. With both managers, of course, their futures are um, up for discussion, uh, with Arteta getting into his final year of his contract. he I suppose after the last time we spoke, actually, we'll, we'll finish on this. We didn't get to speak about his reaction to those stories um, that originated, I believe, in Spain about, you know, potentially him leaving. You were at the press conference. How did you find his reaction to those stories? Yeah, good. I thought he he handled it exactly as I'd expect him to. And um, he was very strong in in having a go at the the reporter in Spain who had implied that he'd been telling his backroom staff that he was on his way out. Um, It was... If, if that had been the case, I think, you know, fair enough, it would have been quite disrespectful, but it turned out to not be true uh, in the slightest. And yeah, I think he handled that very well. Um, he could have come out and maybe not um, quashed it with the severity that he did, but he uh, he was very clearly committed to Arsenal. Interesting that he didn't quite stop short of saying he would never manage another team in England, a la Klopp, but uh, yeah, very committed to Arsenal and um, for the short term at least and, and possibly even the long term. I think he's going to be here at the Emirates for a long time. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose like, unlike Klopp, he's got those links to to Everton as well. So you never know. Uh, he could end up at Everton, of course. Man City as well, as you mentioned, yeah. That's a worry. <laughs> but uh, at the moment, it seems like he's very committed to Arsenal and uh, talk of a, of a new contract is, is certainly something that Arsenal fans are going to be discussing toward the end of the season, depending on what happens. But Arsenal have only, for me at least, moving in one direction since uh, Arteta has arrived. And that's, again, establishing us as, as title challengers in last season and this. Uh, that brings us to an end to today's roundup of, of course, yesterday's win over Liverpool and looking ahead to the next fixture against West Ham. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Any pieces to, to highlight? Not particularly. I mentioned them all pretty much, to be honest. The Martinelli piece is coming today. Obviously, um, enjoy this podcast, share it with your mates and uh, yeah, keep an eye out for all the content we've got coming out for the rest of the week because it's going to be good. Yes, uh, I've got a piece that's out now on Kai Havertz and kind of a Y Scout analysis of him. Uh, a conversation with Jorginho and Odegaard featured that as well. And a little bit later on, I'll have an emotional opinion response to the celebration police. So make sure you watch out for that one. Have a fantastic day. Uh, make sure, as Kai said, to drop a like, subscribe, and leave your thoughts in the comment section below. And if you're listening on audio platforms, if you could leave a five star review and a written review, that'd be even nicer of you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week uh, and as always keep following us down the Arsenal way Go to go, go to go.